Today in the podcast, we're having a conversation about innovation. My very special guest is Franz Johansson, best-selling author of The Medici Effect, one of my favorite and most recommended books. This book is an innovation classic. Released by the Harvard Business School Press, it explores why the most powerful innovation happens at intersections, where ideas and concepts from diverse industries, cultures, and disciplines collide. Available in 21 languages, The Medici Effect has become the definitive book on diversity-driving innovation, influencing fields and disciplines such as architecture, design, economic development, education, entrepreneurship, and investing. Friends told me that diversity is a key driver of innovation success. And so today I give him a call to talk all about it. Joining me on the phone is Franz Johansson, best-selling author and founder and CEO of the Medici Group. Franz's ideas around leadership and innovation and diversity have inspired audiences worldwide, while his practical insights have empowered thousands of people to take action. The Medici Group is a solutions firm that helps companies accelerate their innovation and growth by leveraging the power of diversity. They break down silos and they leverage diverse talent, enabling organizations to move faster, unleash growth and transform their culture. Over the past 14 years, the Medici Group has worked with over 4,000 global teams from 40% of the Fortune 100 companies. And I am so excited to have him on the phone. France, welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be part of it. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I'll tell you why. Um, You know how, I'm not sure whether you have any of these for you personally, but you know when you read a book and you think to yourself, I just really wish I had written this book um, because I would love to have claimed this as my own. That for me was your book a a number of years ago, The Medici Effect. And that's the kind of book they have. Do you have any of those books for you? Uh, Yeah, actually. You know, when I, um, in fact, I'd say the book that inspired me to even try to write The Medici Effect was The Tipping Point. I read The Tipping Point and I remember when I was done with it by Mac and Gladwell, when I was done with it, I find myself uh, both uh, excited because I thought it was a great book, but also annoyed. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> um, this is, I've been thinking about these things for a very long time. I've been thinking about these concepts. Um, and, uh, and it was just very, it was excellent how, that, how those concepts came together into, into that book. But it also made me wonder, yeah, I've been thinking about those concepts but that's really a sideshow compared to what I've been really working on and thinking about for a long time, which really had to do about this notion of intersections, which is growing in my mind. And, um, and I think that all came basically further encouraged me to go and say, you know what, maybe I, maybe I can actually write a book on, on something like this. I, I think it was, it, was, it was part of that puzzle. Well, if you can imagine that, that frustration and channel that frustration, that's how I was feeling when I was reading your book because I was going, I wish this is the book that I was able to write for the world because I found it so helpful and so valuable. And so ever since then, I've always thought to myself, if I have the opportunity to have a conversation with you to talk a little bit more about it, I would really value that. And so appreciate you taking the Thank time and, and jumping on the podcast. I, I want to kick off with three fast facts, which is what we do in every one of the kind of episodes that we do, give people a chance to get 
get to know you a little bit. And so it's three quick questions, which is where were you born? What was your very first job? And then what do you do now? So I was born in Sweden, uh, in Gothenburg, the second largest city of Sweden. And um, so interestingly, um, I would say that my first job that I got paid real money for, which is going to sound absurd, was in high school. <laughs> and it was writing a book. It was writing a book, a Dungeons and Dragons book, or the Swedish version of Dungeons and Dragons. I, I, I sent in a proposal uh, and they said, look, this is interesting. So if you write it, we might buy it. And I spent two summers writing this book. That was a, uh, it was a significant risk because, you know, it wasn't like I was making any other money. I couldn't go and do things that other kids were doing. I basically, you know, I had to, I had to not generate any income in those two summers, but I did manage to sell it. So you're an author long before you were an author. I was an author long before I was an author. We brought it out. Yeah, I sold my first book in 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 high school. Yeah, so that was so I would consider that my first my first job. <laughs> and then what do you do now? I mean, you 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 kind of in some ways still doing what you were doing in your first job and writing, but there's a lot more to it, I'm <laughs> in, sure. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I don't spend enough time writing uh, as much time as I would want writing, but certainly um, that will come back. I, I, I will eventually come back and write my third. A third sort of book in this way but what i do now is i'm the uh so besides being a thought leader and a speaker and so on about the concepts that i write about i've started a company called medici group and we have uh, we've been a consulting firm for many years and and recently we launched a uh, a platform that helps organizations to drive change very very quickly and we're honing in on change that are linked to diversity, inclusion, and innovation. I love that um, because it really does bring to life some of the concepts from the book that you wrote and the book that I'm referencing here. And I'm hoping that when people are listening, um, what they'll be able to do is they'll be able to jump into the show notes, click on the link and get a copy of the book. And if they haven't already read it to, to read it, I mean, but for people who are listening to it now, um, can you kind of give us a bit of an idea of, of like, what's the big idea behind the Medici effect when you wrote that book, what, what's it kind of all about and, and what has that kind of propelled for you? Yeah, so that book basically says that we have the best chance of breaking new ground at the intersection of different disciplines, cultures, industries, and so on. And it's when uh, we have the ability to, to recombine concepts from these different perspectives, different backgrounds, different fields, um, that we actually innovate. It, it, it goes to the heart of this notion that diversity drives innovation. Mm. And... Um, and this is true whether you talk about um, fields. One of my favorite examples from the book, I open with it, is an architect that uh, draws inspiration from termite ecology. They, they realize that termites build mounds of the African savanna and keep an exact sort of 30 degrees Celsius inside of these mounds. And by sort of imitating aspects of that design, he's able to build a building in, in um, Zimbabwe, in Harare, the capital of Zimbabwe, uh, uses no air conditioning. And he's the sort of same principle for cooling that building. So I'm like, here you're, you're really combining two different, very, very different worlds to innovate, to create something new. But it's also true across um, cultures. It's true for people from different backgrounds. And this is, um, that sort of is the, the heart of the book. Now, it has other um, implications. Once you start going down that road, you start to realize other pieces. For instance, that success 
around these ideas tend to be far more serendipitous or unexpected and you could really count it on it ultimately led to me to write a whole second book just about the unexpected nature of uh, of innovation um but because people always ask well which which of these combinations are most powerful and it's hard to tell up front you kind of need to go in explore test ideas that come out of these intersections I think one of the things that, um, you know, come to mind for me when I when I read the book and I, I look at the world around us right now is I, I don't know that you'd find too many places that would argue with the idea that they want more innovation. I think everyone would be saying, well, yeah, of course we want more innovation. And even still, I don't think you would find many places that would argue and say, we don't need more diversity. We would say, yeah, of course we, we want more diversity. We want more innovation. But I mean, what are the problems that you're seeing as you look at the world around us at the moment? So let's, let's unpack that for a second, because if you look at history long term, the sort of the arrow of history is very clear. Um, if you go back 50 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years, uh, the world has become increasingly diverse and inclusive. So we're, we're able to bring together people from today, we're able to far more effectively than at any other time in history bring together people from all over the world. And in order to do that, we're also able to successfully do so. We're able to bring people together that are different, but also can also work together and build on each other's ideas and so on. So, so I would say that that long-term, this seems to be an absolutely um, unstoppable force that, that drives the notion of diversity and inclusion. Uh, but, in the short term, every era goes through sort of um, can go can halt or go backwards in this move. Uh, we might be in one right now. Uh, you know, I, I, you will you will find people in almost uh, every uh, all across the world uh, that will every country that will that will be hesitant about the notion of diversity. It's uh, it's better to focus on on uh, ourselves, who we are, and so on. Um, and then when it comes to interactions between disciplines, again, uh, we are finding ourselves in a world where we are encouraged to be hanging out with and be inspired by people who are more similar to us, that are similar interests to us, rather than interests that are different. So there are multiple forces right now that are uh, in, in subtle or obvious ways preventing us from reaching out to difference, inviting difference. Oh, I like, see the, the, the language there of inviting difference, I think is a really important part to kind of hone in on. I'm not sure if what it's like, because you're based in New York, I'm in Melbourne. Um, we, when things were opening up, when, when shops were open, we, we saw a few things start to arise in the last couple of years. Um, one of those was um, there was a store here in Melbourne, the Kit Kat store, the chocolate bar store, and they were huge on creating personalized chocolate bars. And so you could go in there and basically create your own Kit Kat and create your own chocolate and candy. There were other stores. Um, there's a, a huge fashion company here called The Daily Edited, and they're creating personalized fashion items because it seems to me like the last few years, everyone wants something that feels personalized to them, customized to them. You mm -hmm. go on social media, we have a curated feed of followers. We have an algorithm that puts things that we like and enjoy in front of us. What do you think that's doing to creativity and diversity and intersections? Yeah, it's, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's unexpected almost. Because if you think about the promise of 
internet of social media it is really to connect with more and different people around the world that's sort of that's the uh that's this notion that was brought forth mm. but the reality is that uh, almost every player in the space have an incentive to actually try to create bubbles around you that become more and more focused on what you like um, not just the not just the the posts that you click or the media that you consume, but the people that you're following and so on. It just is trying to just more and more predict it. And the only thing they can really use is to is to use your past to try to figure out what to what to predict and what it is that you're liking. And then it wants to even further predict into the future. So it, it actually it actually encourages you, right, to be a bit more predictable, a bit more focused, a bit more yeah, this is what I like. And actually, now that I know that, I want to just present you with more and more stuff like this. Because if I can get you to click, if I can get you to engage, then that's going to lead to a um, uh, you know, financial outcome for whatever, whichever company is involved mm -hmm. in, this, uh, in this journey. Um, so it, it's almost like that, pe that piece of this promise is, is not being followed through. Doesn't mean you can't do something about it. I keep on getting these questions a lot. Like, well, how do you how do you ensure that you are uh, that you are exposed to diversity? How do you ensure that you are exposed to difference? And those are conscious effort things that you can dig into uh, to to actually to actually do. There's all kinds of uh, tips we can get into on that if you if you want to. But but let me also just make the point that it goes beyond just social media because. Artificial intelligence is really based on understanding existing data sets and then through that try to extrapolate into the future. And if we take hiring, so increasingly recruiting is aided by AI. Uh, but what happens when companies try to identify the employee most likely to succeed at their company? They're, they're really, what they're really doing is they are they are looking at past employees that have succeeded and say like, who are they? And how can we get more of those? <laughs> and this past, right, is not only do they, are they replicating the past, the past itself was biased. Like not every person got an opportunity to be part of the success of the company at that time. So, so, so not only are, are, are these uh, algorithms uh, trying to replicate the past, they're, they're replicating a past that was biased. Uh, so mm. to your question, we are in a, what I think about it is that um, uh, this is one of those forces that if we're not careful, could really accelerate division. Actually, it's already accelerating division between us. And it is happening not because of a, you know, somebody you can point at and go, that person is trying to divide us. It's happening by every individual choice that we make every day. It's this, um, these echo chambers that we create with ourselves. I, Cause I thought about it, you know, this idea, like imagine logging on or people who are listening, logging on to a social media platform and every post you're seeing is something that is completely unrelated to you. So maybe, maybe you're an artist and you're seeing things around science and maybe you're, you're a scientist and you're seeing poetry and, and you would sit there and you go, ah, oh, this is not personal to me. I don't no, I didn't want to see these things. I don't want to follow those accounts. And yet the nature of that is actually creating these, you know, like 
um, feeds or these exactly. you know similarities, and we're losing that ability to be able to kind of think outside of our own domain. That that is exactly right, and 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 in fact, the ability to think outside of your domain is one where you have to be open to be you know a bit uncomfortable. Now you mm. can train yourself to do it, but it is. It's, it could be difficult when what is presented to you is exactly the story that you feel you want to read right now. And, and you know, where are we heading with this, by the way? I mean, if you, if you extrapolate this further, you start to realize that um, stories that you're reading, uh, many times are just made-up stories. I mean, we see this politically, for sure. This is just, but there's made-up stories, there's made-up stories about COVID. But as long as they are ple- pleasing to you, then you will engage with it. So the extrapolation of it is that really where we're heading towards is a world where ideally if if the if the AI can create a bubble of one, just you, where it's creating and feeding you stories that really you love and want to read, and you're really only talking to yourself and interacting with yourself. I mean, that's sort of the dream. That's that's the, that's sort of the logical extension of where it is that we're heading. Mm. And you can just imagine how killing that would be of innovation. So uh so so part of what we do, part of what I do, is focused on helping teams and people introduce unexpected differences in a meaningful way, in a way that say, wow, this is exactly what I needed, even though I wasn't aware of it originally, even though I'm an architect, the term ecology is not something that I would be investing time to understand what you're helping me do is see the connection. So, so there are structural, there are architectural implications to what the termites are doing. And that's the bridge in which enables me to go and seek diversity. You, and, and it ultimately comes down to this notion that as long as you can find something that connects to what it is that you're doing, even just one thing, that bridge into this other world or culture or, or industry or discipline, now you have the roadmap to actually enjoy and explore diversity. Because as you said, if you just present it with random stuff and you don't know what to do with it, that's not going to go over well. But if you're able to make that connection, all of a sudden it goes from being irrelevant to intriguing. Mm. I often think about it like, like having a glass of water and not realizing how thirsty you were until you start drinking. And I feel like when you what you said before, it's like when we introduce this into groups, it's like they didn't realize they needed this until all of a sudden there's this explosion of creativity and they went, oh, I didn't think because I was so enclosed in my world and so focused on what I knew. Somebody comes and teaches us something brand new and it's like this, um, it's this thing that they didn't even realize they needed in their team. The way that is expressed is through surprise. This mm-hmm. is a wonderful emotion, right? Which is that, whoa, and we love creating that experience for people all over the world. It's, you know, you're, you're, Something is happening. You didn't expect it to happen because it didn't play out the way you had planned it. But if, but, but if everything that you did was planned, it means that you're not really doing much of anything innovative because it means that you're predicting the future. Uh, innovation is about actually creating the unpredictable. It's about doing something different, something unexpected. Uh, so, yeah, that emotion of uh, making an unexpected connection uh, making that unexpected connection count mm. is is just huge, and it can inspire people. For frankly, it can be enough to spark an idea that you could stick with you for for decades. Yeah, so true. With 
the um, in the Medici effect, you talk about this, and I'd love to maybe just touch on it briefly, which is this idea of associative barriers. Um, because one of the yeah. things that we're on this conversation around AI is like you mentioned, it's like it's taking information and data sets from the past, using it to create some sense of um, predictability for the future. And then some organizations would say, well, it feels like we're moving forward with you know, our eyes focused on the rear view mirror and we're not creating new and we're not looking forward. And, and again, probably there's an element of these um, associated barriers that are being created through some of this AI and personalization conversation. Do you want to touch just briefly on, for people who haven't read the book, what associated barriers are all about? Sure. So um, why is it that we, ha we struggle sometimes to connect um, uh, different fields and cultures? It, it, it really comes to the shortcuts that our mind makes as we try to develop develop new ideas. So if I'm an architect, for instance, um, and I and I think of uh, something like a, a building, uh, I might connect that to uh, concrete or I may connect that to steel beams. If I think about something like air conditioning, well, I will be thinking about things like a, a air conditioning unit, the, the, the actual vents that will go through a, a building and so on. So that's that's the architect. And then you have uh, then you have a terminologist, for instance, and the, the terminologist. If you're asking what they're thinking about when they think about termites, well, they might not be thinking about insects and uh, the African plains where they live and the wood that they're that they're eating and so on. So you you, you basically have people that are that are um, the, the associative barriers is the bar is is the barriers that we have. That prevents us from associating what we're working on or what we are in, interested in with something that is kind of outside of the obvious connections that you could make. But it turns out, right, that they're actually termites and architecture actually connects. And so people that have low associative barriers, they have the ability to dare to make those connections. Oh, you're doing terminology? Wow. You know, it's interesting because when you're talking about how they are cooling their their mounds, uh, it makes me think about air conditioning in buildings. That, that's somebody that has lowered their associative barriers because they're making a connection between air conditioning and termites. So these these barriers are actually absolutely critical to our ability to make connections to 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 connect difference. And what the uh, algorithms are doing are helping create these barriers for us. But they're saying, hey. You don't have to do the hard work. Um, when you're thinking fishing, we already know roughly the world of fishing that you should tap into. Fishing magazines, there's fishing rods, there's fishing locations, oh, fishing vacation. It's the whole world of fishing that would sort of be the obvious choices that you would make. Um, what we really need are algorithms that actually help you connect fishing with something completely unrelated and help you see the connections so that it sort of encourages you to explore it. One of the conversations I have with people, you know, if I look at um, as a Gallup strengths coach, my number one theme is ideation. And I love that about me. I never had a language for it for a long time. And the only way I would describe it to people is I would say, you know, when you, you, you say blue, most people just would say sky. And I, my response is like, well, sunflower. And people are like, like, I don't get how, how you got there. Yeah. And it was like, because my brain went, well, yeah, blue made me think of the sky, which made me think of the sun, which made me think of the garden where I grew up. Now, garden where I grew up, there were these beautiful sunflowers. And so naturally my brain went there. But for people who, who are 
who don't think like that, it's very much like, well, blue means sky. And so they, they find it hard to join the dots. And my, one of my biggest challenges for, for most of my creativity and most of my career was helping people walk out the journey of how do we connect some of these dots together. Do you find that people struggle at times to, to bring down some of those associated barriers? What gets in the way? What keeps them up? Like what's challenging for people? Well, so as I said, our, our mind... They, they, they create these barriers because actually they help us as well, right? So if we constantly um, are, uh, are, are deciding to go and, and do a Wikipedia search for every single concept that we're encountering, that's going to be taxing. So there, there's a rationale for it. It, it, it is it's designed to help us stay on point, focused, and so on. So there's a benefit. It's not like it's zero benefit from having associated barriers. But what's interesting is that the more the world, the more innov that innovation is needed in the world, which is the world we live in, every month that goes by is in some way increasing the innovation rate. Right? We're living at the slowest time that we will ever live again right now. Mm. It's just keep on going faster and faster and faster. We need the ability to actually make these type of connectors because we need to innovate. Now, how do you, so, so when you ask what, what, the, what the challenges are, the, the challenges are often built in. Uh, so we have to find ways to, uh, to encourage us to seek out this difference. And there's two ways to do it effectively. One is that you are engineering it into your life. Who are you hanging out with? What does your, what does your, um, a circle of friends look like or colleagues um, is there is it a diverse group or all everybody roughly the same um, then you can also hack this effect as well and you, you hack it by purposefully introducing difference into what it is that you're working on this is something that is we call it explore intersections and what that means is that when you're looking at a problem when you look at an opportunity when you think about an asset that you have or a relationship, you intersect that with something that is, seems widely different. In fact, for a long time, we would have these intersection cards that would have just uh, names of things on them, right? So you're, if, if, if what you're doing is you're, you're creating um, um, uh, bottles of, of water, what happens if you intersect that with something that is completely seemingly unrelated, like a Formula One car? Okay, or if you're, uh, you're like, well, okay, uh, I need to make a connection between these. And maybe you're not able to. But if you are, it is likely to be um, very different. And, and we've run this over and over again, right? I, we worked with uh, uh, a, a water company at one point, and, and we, we gave them an opportunity to connect, you know, water with a water hose, with a water pump. Uh, and, and I said, well, so if you connect a, a, a water <laughs> faucet with a water hose, like what type of innovative ideas would you come up with? And it's very difficult because like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, wait, I, I connect. Like you, you can't help yourself. He's like, I will connect the water hose to the faucet. You, you just find yourself saying those words and you're stuck. And it's like, well, this idea has been done before. But what happens if I tell you I'm going to connect a water faucet, you know, with, um, with a frequent fire miles. Okay. Now I actually have to start working and trying to come up with an idea around this. Well, and that, what that is, you're far more likely to come up with something unexpected if you do it that mm. way. And that's kind of hacking 
this 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 uh, experience that you, the other ones can create uh, through by looking at the people that surround you, or looking at the at the inputs that you're getting, or the books that you're reading, or the the articles or the links that you're clicking on. I I was talking to someone recently about this idea um, that you know creativity in many ways is around connecting the dots for mm -hmm. things and and drawing these new patterns in new ways. And what I'm hearing this in many ways kind of the ability to create those connections is based on our ability to collect more of those dots, right? So have have more of those dots that we can draw. And so when you're hacking these intersections, are you throwing more and different kinds of data sets into the kind of creative conversation? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 you know, there, there, are, there are products and uh, services and TV shows and, that out there in the world today has come out of exactly this process, right? So, because we've been working with teams to do it. So if a team is trying to figure out uh, how to um, accelerate the, the ability to pursue intersectional ideas, they can, of course, they can rely on the diversity of the team itself. But by actually, um, but by actually purposefully uh, intersecting what they're doing with something else, you're, you're, you're setting it up for success. I'll give you an example. So this is another favorite example of mine uh, we have a hospital um, they have a problem with the transfer patients from a surgical unit to an intensive care unit we have two teams working on this patient but these teams are not always collaborating they're always, not always coordinated and so that means that occasionally there are flaws that are introduced errors sometimes these errors can be fatal and this is a real hospital. It's a hospital in Cambridge in the UK. Now, how would you solve this? Now, the obvious thing to do would be to reach out to other hospitals. How have you solved this? What are best practices? Let's try to, let's try to talk to those that understand this problem the deepest. But this hospital did not do that. They teamed up with a pit stop crew of a Formula One car racing team, McLaren, in fact. And try to understand, how do you think about collaboration? How do you think about coordination? Are there things that we can learn from you that we can apply in what it is that we do? Not that it's a one-to-one -one correlation. Trust me, a Formula One pit stop crew <laughs> team is, is still very different from a, from a hospital uh, crew team. But it completely changed how they thought about their, what they did. And when they, when they did that, they started dropping the error. They started collaborating better. This is what I'm talking about. You can purposefully, so so now imagine, right, that that you anybody who's listening to this, as you're looking to solve something, imagine that for a moment, you're saying I'm going to draw inspiration from a from a pit stop crew. Like, how would that change your thinking pattern? How would that change how it is that you're approaching it? And then you can start doing it with all kinds of things. Uh, the more unlikely, sometimes the better. As long as you're willing to throw out the ideas that don't resonate, um, uh, you, mm. you can't really lose. I mean, that's such a good example of like something that seemingly two pieces which seemingly don't connect and yet there's elements within them which are so helpful and valuable. It's like getting out of that you know, detail and into the contextual and understanding some of the heck there's commonalities and similarities between some of these things. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, just to take another idea that emanated from, from uh, your country in Australia, uh, Ahita Sinetti, traditional Muslim woman moves to Australia, 
and she realizes that the dress code for a traditional Muslim woman does not really uh, align with the dress code for a typical Australian beach culture. But she asks herself, why couldn't it? Why can't she combine a, a you know, a, a burqa with a bikini? Um, and why can't she create the burkini, which is a burqa out of sort of a high performance material and cut. And, um, and you know, turns that into a global sensation. Nike launched his entire pro hijab line a couple of years ago. And here's the thing about this story, right? It, it is that, again, if you would have asked focus group, traditional Muslim women and said, hey, look, what's the potential of, um, of selling bikinis within your group? They're going, it's zero, zero, zero probability. Okay, got it. Thank you. And then you would turn to, you know, Western swimwear manufacturers and ask the same question. They would also said zero. What was actually required was the ability to include, be inclusive of both of these perspectives, of stepping into an intersection of both of these worlds. If you're able to do that and can see the connection, then you can innovate. So, so it cuts across fields, it cuts across cultures. This is why diversity is so powerful in driving innovation. Mm. I, I think... You know, if we were to like for a moment assume that the people who are listening to this say, yeah, I, I love this. Like I, I would absolutely agree. The key to our innovation in our business is that ability to explore intersections, to be out of value diversity. And I think like if we were to say that they're bought in on, th on that and then we say, okay, so what now? Like, like we've got an organization, we want to be more innovative. We're trying to create more diversity and explore some of these intersections in our business. Friends, can you come in and just make our organization more innovative? <laughs> can you just do that for us? Like what's actually required for us to make this actually happen? So, so we launched a platform um, not too long ago in August that enables us to help organizations do this at scale. Um, and it stems from a completely, completely, uh, really revolutionary way of looking at change management. So here's the thing. What you're, what you're describing requires change, a change in behavior, one way or another. Okay. But how, so, so to me, the point wasn't so much that we have to convince people that this is the right thing to, to do. Diversity, bringing in difference, then driving innovation, testing, failing fast, all of this stuff. Um, I think one can get people there. The challenge is how do you get them to do it? So that's mm. where this, that was the second order innovation that we created in my company. We really needed to come up with a new way of driving change management. And I believe that if you take all of change management, everything that's sort of said and done in it, you can sort of boil down that change within a team happens uh, or within a leader happens um, in, in the following way. This is sort of the most basic heuristic of change. That is that a person will do more of what they've seen work and less of what they've seen not work. Like remove everything, remove all the complexity from it and you, you land at that point. Okay, so let's take that as a given for a second. What does that instruct us to do? What does that tell us about how we have to create change? What it means is that we have to, we have to create a situation where a person or a team is able to try a new behavior and then very, very quickly see the positive outcome of that behavior. Not like next year, but next week or two weeks from now. 
And if they can make that link, then they will repeat this new behavior. So if I say that, uh, look, if you're able to invite somebody that is uh, a bit, you know, increase the diversity of your team by inviting somebody else to it, and then you can actually experience the positive impact of that on the team, then you're likely to do it again. And soon this becomes a habit. So that's really what, that's really what Renaissance, which is what our, our platform is called, this is really what that is doing. It enables, enables teams to, to, to learn a new, what we call a move, an action, a behavior, and then test this move within the team quickly on, a, on something that is, matters to them, see the positive impact that occurs when they do that, and then repeat it. That's sort of the setup of it. And that's what is needed. I believe that, you know, I've traveled the world keynoting, speaking about this stuff. And, and it's, it's great. It inspires people. But, you know, so much is still left for the, for the organization to pick up on and say, well, okay, I, I love this, but I, how do we do it now? And, and that's what that is meant to accomplish. You're trying to, looking for, finding a way of how to actually do it in a way that scales. That becomes very important. Mm. So if you were if you were listening to this and you were leading a team, what I'm hearing that is that in order to kind of create like a more of a culture where, you know, innovation and diversity, these things are really in central and integral to our team. We've got to provide experiences where A, we actually give people to freedom to explore those intersections and and play with those ideas and then see the the product and the you know maybe call it the surprise maybe call it the the actual implementation of the idea but some kind of success as a result That's of right. that quickly 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 mm. um and 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 that's the thing that i think has been most challenging right because so you what you have to do is you have to break down this this sort of um experience into very specific units uh, we call them the atoms of innovation. Uh, and they are all tied into this notion of inviting diversity and being inclusive. So I'll, I'll give you an example. We have a move called um, Share Sooner. It simply means that you're sharing an idea or concept sooner than you're comfortable with. It's a very, very simple move if you think about it, but it's actually very hard to execute on. Because the reason we don't share something sooner is because we don't want to look foolish. We want to be buttoned up. We want to have the PowerPoint and the backup slides. and But... But if you're able to get to a place where you can share something sooner, you can get input earlier, which is going to make your idea better. You don't have to actually accept input, but getting it is not bad. Um, and it enables you to actually more, once, you, once a, a team or organization gets used to this, it enables you to do it more with people that are different from, the, from sort of the usual suspects that the team has. Uh, so, so, even if the outcome is just a small inno innovation, I'm not talking about creating, you know, a Tesla. I'm talking about just, let's say it's a small process improvement. We had one team, I saw, um, saw this come through, um, I think it was last week. They, they did something a little bit differently. And instead of taking 48 hours to accomplish this particular task, it now took 24. So it's 24 hour savings doesn't seem like much, but you know, for them, it was 50% improvement, massive. Um, but it was just using a move and, and through that understanding a different way of solving for things. That's what's required, the ability to, mm. to go in um, and, and, and actually test new actions 
new moves and, and see how they work. And you should be able to see it within a week or a month. If it takes six months, then you should redefine where you're testing the move. Right? You're like, well, we're going to see an output of this, you know, next year. If I hear that, I'm like, well, 12 months from now, um, I would suggest that you use this move in a different context so you can see the positive outcome of it earlier. Because otherwise, you're not really going to adjust your behavior. What, what I think is really helpful in that is we often think about innovation as being something brand new, something that is, you know, we've created mm-hmm. something that I can touch and I can feel. But an example of that is actually just being able to do something better or do something faster or quicker. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the hospital and Formula One example I shared earlier in this conversation is a direct example of that. It's a process innovation. I think one of the greatest disservices that's occurred uh, to people in, in general uh, over over the past you know decades is that innovation has become synonymous with like an iPhone, say mm. like the iPhone was innovative. Well, some Android users will argue that it isn't. Okay, but the Android, <laughs> whatever. It's like you know. So so it. But this is what innovation is. It's this sort of real real innovative products, hardcore deep tech, and sure, I mean it's innovative, but but innovation. The, the amazing thing about it is that it can come in so many different ways. It can come as a product, as a service, as a process, as an approach, as a marketing campaign, as a sales tactic. The key is that you are creating a new way of doing something, uh, a new type of or, or a new product. Uh, but that's what it comes down to. Are you, you can even actually, if you want to be so broad, you can say that if you're driving a particular way to work every day and you then say, you know what, I'm going to try a different way of getting to work and see how that goes. Uh, and that new approach actually works. You took a risk. It could have failed. Now, the risk of failure wasn't great, but this still matches the definition of, of, uh, um, of innovation. It makes it very participatory. Uh, and what's crazy about this is that some of the more interesting innovations they can come about in ways that we don't we don't expect. Like it's not um, it's not big or planned, or it doesn't feel big or planned. Yeah, going to the moon, going to Mars. Okay, that's big and planned. So that mm. covers that bucket. But many breakthrough innovations happen in small ways. Microsoft Windows, which you know really took over the whole world was really something that was planned to be shut down. And it was really a surprise meeting that happened uh, one night uh, between two engineers where they started discussing how to solve a particular bug in the in the Windows operating system uh, that ultimately solved, solved it. If that conversation hadn't happened, it's likely that Windows would have been ceased and, and instead we would have been on OS2, which probably wouldn't have worked because it sucked. So, you know, it was, it was um, you can't even know in the moment if a, if a small innovation can become big. We, we worked with a uh, entertainment company. They came up with an idea that seemed very, very basic. Virtual runs, you, you run at home. This was before COVID, so it's ahead of its time. And everybody said, that doesn't make any sense. You need to go to a marathon. You're going to run a marathon together with other people. But it turns out, right, so they tested this. It was a blast of success, instant, instant success. And it just had big implications for how this company thought about uh, that type of activity. And when COVID hit, it was a savior for it. 
um, small ideas can turn out to be actually big ones later on. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's how I'm thinking about it. I, I'm reflecting on this conversation. I think there's some, there's some really big ideas that I'm taking away from this. And obviously we started exploring these, this conversation around intersections and the, the, the power that diversity brings to innovation. But what I really took away from that is that it, it takes a lot of work and effort to, to seek that out because naturally if we were to just kind of go about our day to day, our world is kind of conditioning us to, to take the easy route and to not really yes. have to work. For that diversity is that kind of a, a theme that i'm hearing in our conversation yeah uh, i think that is that is one theme it is doing that but it's also i mean look it is doing that but if if you can get yourself into a mind space of being open to the difference then there's tons of resources i mean look once we're done with this podcast this is going to be a resource that people can use and mm-hmm. we created this you know on a on a monday afternoon well here in new york anyway I, guess it's your morning or something but <laughs> but um so 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 all this true that uh, that we're feeling this pressure to to become and reach out and interact with people and content that's more along the lines of what we like we have choice i mean we have options there's just an incredible amount of stuff out there so as long as you're aware of fighting that you have your ability to innovate is mind-boggling i mean it mm. just blows my mind we if you have an idea and you want to go ahead and pursue it it could be an artistic idea it could be a technological idea it could be a scientific one the ability for you to go out and test this idea is greater than it's ever been i mean just ever forget it, it let's say you can get no fundraising you still have options mm. that did not exist in the past so to some degree, there might be a bifurcation of people that are able to sort of resist this um, siren call. It's kind of pulling us in um, into, into worlds of just the known, of planned stuff, of, 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 of a world where serendipity has been engineered out. Uh, we, can, we can resist it. We can go and pursue all those things. It's been such a helpful conversation, friends, like really in so many different ways. I feel as a, as a naturally kind of curious and creative person, I would sit here and talk to you all day about this conversation. But what I, I've loved about what you've brought to this is there's some really practical elements into what we've talked about. So if you're a leader that's listening to this, if you're a team member that's listening to this, just doing simple things like how do we, like what could we throw into the mix here in terms of intersections that might help us to be able to connect the dots between things that seemingly don't connect or what could we be doing to to try and create some quick wins quickly where we can actually see the the impact of our innovation and the results of our innovation quickly so we want to do more of that i mean as people listen through there'll be lots of really practical things is is there anything else that you would leave i mean if someone's listening to this now and going i feel so inspired which is obviously naturally what you do you inspire people around this like but i want to do something right now like what's the net most accessible next step for a person to start doing something with this yeah, I mean, um, I guess it depends a bit on where they are in their journey. You know, if they're looking to create a new interesting idea, then I would just say go into section hunting. Mm. Um, ask yourself, we have a move called Unusual Suspects. Ask yourself, make dr- drop a list of who you usually hang out with, who you go to to explore an idea. Uh, write down those names 
and then don't go to those people. Just at least once. Try to find somebody else. Uh, by definition, you're introducing some diversity into your into your network that way. Or if you're uncomfortable doing that, find inspiration from other fields, uh, other industries, other cultures. Uh, read up on explore online. Ask yourself, how would I borrow uh, concepts or approaches from from this field into what it is I'm trying to trying to do? So that's what I would say there. If you're already working on something, if you have an idea going, if you if you're you're exploring it, then I, I I would instead I would turn to this other piece, which really has to, which we haven't talked much about today, but it's this notion of we call it the smallest executable step. But it's this this thing that instead of trying to solve all the things that's wrong or right with the idea up front, get going. Get going. What can you execute this week? Anybody's listening to this? It's Monday here in New York. What can you execute this week on this idea? What can you get done? What can you test about this idea? That's really what, what I would what I would say for those that are in that face of it. They have something, but oftentimes they're prevented from pursuing it for a whole host of reasons. Um, you know, the pathway forward is chop it up, make it smaller, execute that piece, see how that works, learn from it. If it works, keep on doing that. Keep on going in that direction. If it doesn't, well, ask yourself, uh, is, should I revisit what I've done? Is there something I can learn here? So those are some pieces that I would, would share. So, so helpful. Thank you, friends, for, for A, taking some time to be on the podcast and, and B, just sharing so much helpful, uh, I guess, wisdom around this idea of innovation and diversity, which is um, obviously what you're well known for around the world. And um, if people, I mean, you've, you've talked a little bit about the Renaissance kind of platform, like if people wanted to connect more and learn, I mean, to either invite you into their organization to have conversations with some of that executive level conversations. I know you do that um, in, in, in um, the Medici group. Um, what's the best way for people to connect with you and to learn more about some of your work? Yeah, they can, uh, they can link in with uh, me directly or, or our organization. I mean, if it's with, if it's with me, it might not be me that responds every time, but um, it's going to depend on, on, but I, I do, I, it happens all the time, people go and say, "Look, I uh, I want to I want to pursue these ideas." So, so then I can put them in touch with the right person inside of Medici to to help explore that. Uh, or alternatively, they can go to um, our website, uh, themedicigroup.com. T H E M E D I C I group.com. That'd be great. And I'll put the links into all the information that people um, typically might yeah. have um, in terms of how to connect with you and the best ways that they can reach out and um, and just to follow along with your work. And of course, um, there's a whole range of things that you do and, and you really are um, adding a really valuable voice into the conversation around innovation around the world. And so really appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. This is great. Enjoyed it. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.